that interesting. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> we'll, we will talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about the military. Um, I do want to ask, I do want to say this though. Um, reading, you know, I send out a questionnaire when I, before I interview guests and, and just our chat before this. Um, yeah, whenever I meet someone who is who's really passionate about what they do and has this big audacious goal, I get really excited because I know we're going to have a, a really good conversation. And uh, I'm curious, uh, and, and, and yeah, we can just talk about the military now. Um, you said you were in the military for 15 years and, and now you are on this mission to help a lot of people and usher a new generation uh, of health um, in the military. So where did, where did that inspiration come from while you were serving? We, we can start with, start there and work our way backwards, but where did, when did you become inspired to, to, uh, you know, go out on that mission? Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. I really appreciate it. I uh, love branching out to as many podcasts as possible, being a podcaster myself, I know the power of it. So the inspiration, man, how long do you have? (laughs) Um, Okay. So four minutes. uh, Okay. Let's, let's break this down. (laughs) All right. So uh, to make a long story short, uh, yes, I spent 15 years in the Canadian Armed Forces, and I deployed once to Afghanistan. I got injured in Afghanistan. Nothing crazy. Like, I wasn't, like, knee-deep in grenade pins or anything like that. I just hurt my back and knee and had some psychological issues as well. So I had to deal with all that. I had to fix myself. And uh, before I started fixing myself, I was deemed, like, non-serviceable by the military. And so they kicked me out and that was, that was a hard moment for me because for me, the military was the only place that I really excelled at things. It was the first time I found something that was really, really fun and in a professional setting. And I just, I just found it easy, but also grueling and pushed my limits. So I naturally gravitated towards it and it was part of who I was. It became part of my identity. I was a soldier. I was a sergeant. I was like GI Joe. I was like, hells yeah. And then like, after I came back from my mission in Afghanistan, I finally completed a, like my war effort, which is something I always wanted to do because I always, I always looked up to my grandfather who fought during the second, in the second world war. I never really knew him because he passed away when I was young, but you know, I have all those medals and I heard his story and it always impressed me. So I wanted to have the same experience as well. And then when I came back and I was kind of busted up and I was, you know, my life was kind of erratic. Um, I didn't really have any focus. The injury forced me to get focused only because I, um, you know, I, I started a family and I wasn't taking care of myself. And I got to a point where I, I couldn't get out of bed. I was miserable all the time. I was just in constant agony and pain. My career as a teacher was suffering. My relationship with my wife was suffering. I knew I was going to be just a miserable piece of, can I swear on this podcast? As much as you'd like. I'm <laughs> just going to be a miserable piece of shit. I'm <laughs> just going to be a miserable piece of shit. And I was like, I don't think I want that. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want to pass that on to my son. And then now I have a daughter as well. And it was really the, the, the physical injury that I was more concerned about at the start. And I'd gotten 
overweight and detrained and just kind of rested on my laurels. And then I decided to sit, just, you know, not be that way anymore. And so I sought out help. I got a, I got a coach who's still my coach to this day. And we worked mm-hmm. on the basics and I got myself fit again. I started uh, feeling better. I was in less pain. Um, I learned some new exercises that I didn't know existed. And from mm-hmm. there, I realized there was a lot of growth that I hadn't done in my 20s that I needed to start doing in my 30s. And I realized not just me, but a lot of us in our community are in the same boat. We've done things for our country that they they asked us to do. We volunteered to do it. We came back. There's a lot of support for us, but at the fundamental level, we're just not healthy enough to really thrive. And so I wanted to at least fix the movement issue, which I had, which I was able to more mm-hmm. or less fix at about 95%. And from there, I was like, well, what else can I do? It's like, okay, well, maybe I can figure out how to lean up and get fit, do that. I was like, okay, I can help at that level. And I, I really mm-hmm. wanted to have an impact on the, on the veteran community. But seeing is that so many were, were just having a hard time keeping their lives together, you know, keeping steady jobs, just not thriving. And with all these good ideas and all these, all these experience that's sorely needed in, a, in, a, in our communities and in mm-hmm. our, in our governments and in our, in our, in our politics, we have a voice, but it's really hard to get that voice out there. If your, your, your basic needs aren't being met. And if you're fundamentally unhealthy, you can't tackle big problems. So I said, okay, I'm going to do my part. My next mission is to, to get veterans moving better, but also losing weight and losing weight and, and reducing body fat is a, is a global problem. Now it's not just in the veteran community. So if there can be a trickle down effect there, that's mm-hmm. why my, my mission is really to help veterans globally lose 2 million pounds. So I did the math that's hundred thousand veterans times 20 pounds each. So I know I can, I know I can get an individual down 20 pounds. I'm pretty good at that. And if I can do that times a mm-hmm. hundred thousand, we will have met the mark. And so that's why I do what I do. That's, it's a really big undertaking, um, conceptually, like you just said it, I can do it. I can help one individual get 20,000, lose 20 pounds, but how can I a thousand X that, right? Or a hundred thousand X that, how, how do you make that scalable, man? How do you, as an individual create an, create a scalable impact like that? How are you working toward it? I'm doing it right now. Literally, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I have the podcast. Your, I have my your, like, your... yeah, yeah. The podcasting. Uh, I have a book, which doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the Nimble Warrior. It doesn't focus on weight loss, but it definitely focuses on the the movement uh, issues that people might have, the injuries that people might have. It's basically my experience and how I got better mm-hmm. by doing some, uh, some basic self myofascial release techniques and include some workouts. And if that's the gateway, because it's very hard for people to get moving if they're in constant pain. Mm-hmm. So I kind of layered it in. I said, well, okay, first step, let's get people moving a little bit better. And like, maybe they have sciatic pain. Okay. Well, how can you make that feel better? Okay. Let's do these, work- let's do these exercises. And then, okay, well, I'm if your back is still really sore. Okay. Well do these extra. Okay, cool. Now you're, moving literally in the right direction. Well, movement is required in order to take action. You know, it, it it's very rare that people can actually get motivated to lose weight if they're not moving. Um, mm-hmm. because movement now drives 
the mind. And so if you're seeing small little quick wins, you're more likely to keep it moving forward because you get that little dopamine hit. So I'm like, okay, well, the next, the next phase is to literally lose weight by using some, some basic techniques that you don't require, you don't need a PhD to figure it out. And so that's where I'm trying to change the health paradigm with the podcast and having some amazing guests on that are world renowned experts on everything from fasting to cardiology, to Mm. mental health, to training, uh, you name it. Um, addiction, you name it, and uh, using that as a conduit uh, is is the main is the main effort because obviously I know I'm not physically going to be able to help a hundred thousand folks, mm-hmm. but in my training business, you know, I can definitely help hundreds. And then through all the free content that I have on you know YouTube and podcasts and whatnot, uh, individuals that can grapple onto that and do it on their own, awesome. And then it's just a matter of all right, let's get that tally up. Did it, did it help? Yes. How much did you lose? Sweet. Is it 10 pounds, five pounds? Doesn't matter. Let's keep on adding those totals up. And uh, ultimately, yeah. if you're working with me, I know I can get you down 20 pounds uh, mm-hmm. in a relatively short amount of time. If if not, and you can still do it, awesome. I hope I can provide all the tools that you can you can use to move forward and actually get those pounds off because that's a that's a priority of mine. At being a former chubby kid, I know what it's like to be to be overweight and it's not fun. So want to convey that message and as sometimes much as can. i find the uh you talked about a lot man that the physical blocks is what i notice in people is the they'll have especially coming out of the military maybe they'll have some injuries or something they sustained um, on duty and and now they're stuck without a plan and also they have an injury that's holding them back from doing anything and i find in, at least in myself when i feel that when I feel physical pain, it usually converts to depression and um, emotional trauma, emotional pain, um, slowing down of the nervous system and the mind, right? Where we have to recover. And, and it's hard to get over that because there's a lot of people saying that um, we, you have to focus on your habits and your behaviors but it's hard when you're suffering right Mm -hmm. it's hard when you're stuck where do you find the most success in um in converting someone from in pain to um you know now able to move and not just move but build healthy habits so they can you know lose weight what's what have you found that works well that with that yeah. So the pain thing is, is really important. It's like, it's the, it's a major alarm bell in your central nervous system that something's wrong with yeah. attention. Right. So if we're looking at like Maslow's py- pyramids of need, pyramid of needs, like if you're in pain, mm-hmm. like the rest of the pyramid's kind of irrelevant because your body is now attuned to being in pain and trying to focus on why do you have this pain? Is it going to kill you? Is it just kind of low level? Mm-hmm. Well, even low level pain, like chronic pain, you know, here in Canada is about a million sufferers of chronic pain that sucks the life out of you. Like I've been there, like I can't, you, at the end of the day, you're done because there's so mm-hmm. much, there, there's so many resources metabolically that are devoted to that pain, not just, you know, psychological ones, but physical ones as well. You can't thrive. So, you know, transitioning from getting out of pain, or at least I, you know, my, my trick is it's always quick wins. Like, are you somewhat better do you have about a five percent improvement 
Mm-hmm. How do you quantify that? It's hard because pain is all relative. So therefore it's okay. Are you able to now, let's say, stand for an extra five minutes? And that's, that was my metric. I couldn't stand for more than five minutes at a time mm-hmm. until I got to the point where I could literally stand all day to work and I just had a standing desk. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm much better. So if you can convert your movement into tangible results, um, for mm-hmm. instance, you know, like I, I, have a, I have a guy I'm working with, like he constantly had sciatic pain and couldn't run. And it annoyed him mm-hmm. because he, he likes running. And he just ran a 5K the other week. He's like, man, he's like, I haven't felt this good in years. And like, I'm not an athletic yeah. therapist. I'm not a physiotherapist. But it's being able to take away that pain that can allow you to actually do the things that you're, you're, you're either used to doing or something new that you might not have even considered. Um, even another mm-hmm. uh, client of mine, like he really likes going for walks with his wife. And he always had this goal of going for a walk up this specific trail he just couldn't he was in too much pain and he just wasn't fit enough and it was really frustrating him because his wife was fit enough now he's able to do it and so you can go from thinking and a lot of it is your your mindset too like oh i am broken and that's typically what we see here in the the veteran community is like i'm broken and it's kind of like a matter of fact it's like like you're a piece of you know a piece of glass like you got shattered when in reality that's not the right analogy right you're not broken You're, you're, you're kind of like a car, like you need a, you need a tune up. It's going to work again. And and just like any injury, you're never a hundred percent after you get injured, whether it's psychological or physical, but it's like, okay, well, how do we optimize now based off the fact that you have been injured? And then if you're a human being, you never got injured. You're not, you're not doing it right. In my opinion, like, I don't know how you can get through life without (laughs) getting injured somehow. Like, even if you like, even if you sit around all day, like that's one of the main reasons for back pain is people sit too much. Like you're not doing anything, but it's still causing an injury. So I'd much rather get injured doing something mm-hmm. and then being in motion. And same with my clients, like try something new, try, try push the limits just a little bit. And so I find the biggest transition is going from that, that pain phase to that lower pain phase and increasing the amount of activity. Once you can increase that amount of activity, then the new habits, like you mentioned before, are easier to implement. And typically the, the I think easiest it's a, thing. Um, it's a matter of deciding sometimes that the pain is temporary and, and our health model, our medical model does a really great job of labeling people, right? And giving diagnoses. And then when you receive that, oh man, you, you take ownership over it. Like, this is mine. This is my sciatica. This is my knee injury. And it's hard to let go of that because it comes becomes your identity, right? Just like wearing oh, yeah. a uniform becomes an identity, right? And and it's a it's actually, it becomes a way to hold on to that identity that you lost, right? If you're no longer wearing the uniform or um, if you're no longer active and or, you know, playing that role, of you know military you lose that what else what's tying you to that your traumas your stories your your injuries it's a lot of there's a lot of bound like things to to break there man i found um in my experience considering an injury as something we experience versus something we have becomes really helpful because as an ex- if it's an experience, right, which trauma is essentially trauma is an experience that sort of imprints itself right into our timeline, 
right? An injury that is that too, right? It's, it's a, it's a blip, a moment in time. What happens after that is up to us. It's processes of recovery, training, uh, you know, beliefs, changes in beliefs, all kinds of stuff, man. It's a, it's a really cool thing to see that transformation when people finally let go of their shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The, the psychological impact that you can have on yourself by changing how you talk to yourself is part of how you actually get out of the pain cave, if you want to call it. Like you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's the identity issue especially for veterans that it's not like a regular job. It's not like work. It's not like working at, you know, the bank, you become that you become that soldier. It's, it's, it's more of a vocation. So when you no longer have that institutionalization, you no longer have that uniform. Well, what do you grab and grapple onto? Like I was working at national defense in that department with veterans leaving and like, how do we build training so that they can be somewhat prepared for, their next phase in life because we typically retire quite young like i mean i was out of the military i was 33 34 granted i I was a reservist so i still had my civilian career as a teacher and stuff but those that you know join at 18 19 and they do their full career like they're in their 40s they're not they can still do a whole other career and now they're kind of like well what do i do now if they don't have a plan it's kind of jarring it's not a very injured transitional plan for you know yeah, I mean, you have to really take it into your you have to really be focused on it. You really have to take it seriously. Um and you can tell somebody you have to take it something seriously and until they get it's like slapped in the face like you know, we're yeah. humans, right? But then then we kind of take it seriously, but like the identity of being injured or having like PTSD it's it's something that you know, guys and girls want to hold on to because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm post-traumatic though for my tour. It's like, okay, cool. Like it's not minimizing your 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 trauma. Yeah. Everybody has trauma. That's that's a given. If you're a human being, you will be traumatized by something. But I just had a great guest on the other day on my podcast. Uh, he's a you know Delta Force like super warrior, and uh, you know went through PTSD and everything like that. Now he has his own foundation, and his mission is to heal people. He's like it's an injury. He's like just like all injuries, they can be healed, and it's hard for a lot of people to let go of that fact that you're experiencing. Just like you said, something, and through that experience, you're going to become better. But it's not permanent. You can fix it just like a broken leg. If you have PTSD, you can heal from it. And this is how you heal from it. And it's understanding that, that that's a thing. And some people are in like terrible states. Some people are in like really a lot of pain. And I get it. Some things can't be fixed with like a foam roller and some stretching. But if you can alleviate 5%, maybe 10%, get yourself in a better mental state. A lot of that pain, a lot of chronic pain is, is housed in your psychology. Um, so it's, it's yeah. getting a grip of your mindset that can, that can really help. But those that are in like, tr- like tremendous pain. Like I feel for them because like, you know, the, the little bit of pain that I, I was in was overwhelming. It, it, it controlled my life. I can only imagine what it's like for people that have like really bad pain. I just talked to actually one of our snipers here, a buddy mm-hmm. of mine on the podcast who lost both his legs in Afghanistan. And I can only imagine the daily pain he's in. He's like, yeah, I'm in pain. But, you know, you just get used to it. He's like, man, I'm in pain, but it is what it is. You know, but I mean, that's orders of magnitude more pain than I've experienced. But, you mm-hmm. know, that's his experience and he's able to still work out and he's have accepted, kids. And- he's accepted the pain. 
has accepted his current circumstance and then decide. And, and what came up for me when you were talking about that was the difference between taking personal responsibility and putting your outcomes in other people's hands. And, and, and I imagine in the military, you, you have security, right? You have the, the veil of security, the um, income, the retirement, the always something to do, right? The training. So everything's taken care of for you. And so as you're exiting, there's no need to think about why, why would you think about what you're going to do next? You're used to having things done for you or used to having a plan already, you know, taken care of. And so it becomes really challenging. And then you, you touched on something really interesting. Um, talking about your buddy uh, who lost both of his legs. When you can accept, okay, again, personal responsibility. When you can accept, this is, this is what happened. What am I going to do about it? There's, there's a lot of power there. And that's where I see the, the, the healing journey start to tilt in the right direction is when you can finally accept things for what they are instead of trying to have some control or believing that it's just going to change or someone's going to swoop in and suddenly everything's going to be different, right? I want to yeah, talk about leadership yeah. a little bit, man. Yeah, sure. And I, funny enough, I get a lot of, um, I've had a lot of people on my podcast in, in the military and that's not um, any, there's no particular reason for it other than, you know, they have a lot to say about leadership. They have a lot of experience too. And I'm curious what your experience has been having served um, 15 years. And you said you were a reservist. So you actually had a different experience. It was, um, you got to see what was happening in, you know, the quote unquote real world or, you know, the civilian world and then in the military world concurrently. So what was your, what's your view on leadership or what did you learn about leadership in your time in the military? I think I could sum it up as lead by example. I mean, from day one, the military requires you to step up, take control. Mm -hmm. If there's something that needs fixing, take the initiative, make it happen. That's how we're trained. And that's very, there's a very stark contrast to what it's like in the civilian world, like taking responsibility, aggressive responsibility for things. It's not something that we, you see typically. Mm -hmm. like, we definitely don't see it in our politicians. Uh, we don't see it in like our companies. No. We, but in the military, it's because lives depend on it. So we always say, they mm -hmm. don't take the initiative, take the initiative. And we encourage taking the initiative because it's critical because what you do in garrison translates into what you do in the battlefield. So if you see, you know, the boot that's undone or the water that's on the floor or it, it could be any little thing and you just let it pass there's a there's a regiment here in canada their motto is their unofficial motto is never pass a fault hmm. and that's stuck with me because what it means is essentially like if you see something act on it don't let it get passed down and just negligently let it go it could be your buddy that is going to require that help, or maybe your buddy would slip on that water or trip over that bootlace or whatever it may be. And then on the battlefield, it's, 
you left your ammo out in the rain or you didn't clean your weapon or whatever. And then somebody's life could depend on that and it's going to be non-functional. So you have to keep that in mind as part of a team that, you know, you may not be the commanding officer, you may not be the sergeant, but you still have a role to play and your, your, the ability to lead, whether it's at a high level or a low level, determines the success of your team. So I learned, you know, I was always in a leadership position. I gravitated mm-hmm. towards it and I learned all my lessons there on leadership really. And they force you like once you like, there's no, there's always a progression to do more leadership training. And that's what the military does really well. There's always a course to teach you how to be a better leader as opposed to in the civilian world, you just kind of by osmosis become a leader because you're good at your job. You get noticed They're like, Hey, would you if like to move up to right management people. around the right people? Exactly. You don't, get the yeah. the tactical skills in a classroom setting on leadership and that's why so many military members are good at leadership it's because at a young age you get the tactical level stuff and you get the theoretical it's part of a curriculum from mm-hmm. thousands of years of soldiering and it's it's amazing that when you're a kid like i, I didn't realize how how amazing this training was but just like our leadership training it starts when you're relatively young, when you're a corporal, and then it progresses you if you're a non-commissioned member to become a senior non-commissioned member. And it's really well done. I, I became a teacher on the civilian side as a, you know, became a high school science teacher. I went to mm-hmm. teacher's college. And I'm not joking when I say I never learned how to teach a proper lesson at teacher's college. I learned mm-hmm. how to teach a proper lesson while I was in the military. Structure, lesson plans, had to be on point, had to stay on time. And I did everything like that when I was in teacher's college and my supervisors and stuff and my teachers, when I was in teacher's college, they're like, these are great lesson plans. You're really mm-hmm. on time. Like everything's dialed in. That's really good. I'm like, well, how else would I do it? And for me, it was like bizarre. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how you, they're like, well, we, how did you learn all? I'm like the military. They're like, oh, wow. And so they were surprised that like the dum-dums in the military were able to put this together. But <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, that, that, those, the those principles education back between the two. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the, the thing that the, the, the military is really great at, uh, at, uh, making sure that the, the lowest common denominator gets mm-hmm. the message. So it's mm-hmm. broken down into really small bite-sized chunks. So when you're a university educated dude, like I was, and pretty much all my peers were too in the reserves, you can see you're yeah. like, all right, like, can we speed this up a little bit? But no, they're like, no, no, no. Fundamental level, everybody gets the same training. And if you're further ahead, help buddy out that's maybe struggling. And so, you know, right. that, those were the, the the lessons that you learn um, in garrison. The and then, yeah, they're amazing lessons. Like, the, you, you, yeah. it's, yeah, I learned so much in the military. That's why I'm so thankful that, you know, I joined mm-hmm. at 19. And I learned so much in my, in my early 20s that most people... They never get that. They never get that mm-hmm. until the day they die. So I'm very thankful for the military for that. I'd like to take a quick break to talk about our upcoming impact level one leadership training. Now, when I first started as an entrepreneur, I thought that I had everything needed and that I had everything figured out. I would work endless hours and try to be available at all times for my clients bending over backwards to give them the best experience possible because that's what I thought 
was necessary. I thought by doing this, people would just show up. And, and yet I was still struggling to pay rent for the building we were renting, pay the bills, let alone pay myself. This is what I've coined as the curse of a life of service. What I quickly realized was that there's way more to running a business than simply being good at your job. I had to learn things like how to market and draw in attention, how to set clear goals and a strategy to accomplish them, how to sell myself, my ideas and my methodologies, what to do with my money so I could keep growing, and so much more. And over the last 10 years, I've made every possible mistake in multiple businesses, and I've also had an equal amount of wins Fortunately, in the later years, I learned that the key to running a business, a sustainable business that I can be proud of, requires a crystal clear vision for what success looks like, measurable and repeatable systems that you can use to simplify how things run, and a winning mindset for when things get hard so you can be decisive and be a role model for your team. Now, there's obviously a lot more to running a business. You need to learn marketing sales, scales, sales skills and branding and get yourself out there and learn how to build a team. And, and that is all available. That information is everywhere. I read all the books. I, I watched all the YouTube videos and listened to the podcasts. And, and it wasn't until I finally decided to hire a mentor and join a, a, you know, a business development program that I really started to see a return on my investment because when you are just learning things for the sake of learning, listening, gathering information, you're taking very little action and you're not actually learning, you're simply listening and absorbing. So in order to uh, develop as a business owner and see a huge return and get um, and start making some real money and, and start you know having freedom and feeling fulfilled so you can uh, do the things you want, then it really helps to, to take direction and mentorship from someone who's been there. And, and oftentimes that's as simple as someone calling you out on things or checking your work or providing real practical and tactical advice. And in the impact program, we do all of this in a small group setting and the way it works is actually really unique unlike a lot of other coaching programs we do a, uh, a group we have a group um, co coaching call um, and then you also get individualized plans based on where you are at in your business so we teach the essential leadership skills that you need we teach the the um, the, the mindset that it, that it takes to win and we help to provide a strategic plan based on you as an individual, based on where you are currently in your business life cycle, how many years you've been in business, what your struggles are, and meet you where you're at to work you work your way up. And this program is limited to just nine people, every single cohort. We're just about to run the next one in a couple of weeks and I invite you to apply to see if you're a good fit. 
Now, what we're looking for is business owners who are you know, somewhere in between two and five years into their journey and who find themselves doing really well for a period of time and, and then seeing either a decline in revenue or a loss of you know, clientele or you're having trouble keeping people on staff, you're having trouble motivating your team. Um, and it's been really difficult to scale. And because of that, you haven't been able to take time for yourself or focus on the vision, focus on growth of the business. This is where we help out the most. So if you're interested in applying for one of the exclusive spots, I invite you to visit mysummit.academy impact. You'll be asked to fill out a short application and then book a call so you can ask any questions you have and then I'll help you make a decision on what's the next best option for you, whether it be joining the impact program or something else. And, and it really depends on where you're at. So again, visit mysummit.academy impact and fill out that application. Now let's get back to the show. There's a, they don't get it. People, the, the civilian world doesn't get it because it's, it's not so apparent that they need it either. At least for the general population, most people are not going to hold a position of leadership. And then therefore, therefore why would they seek or receive any education or any, um, uh, any lessons on it? Uh, and then there's people who, you know, step out to the side of that, the, uh, the outliers, um, who are around other leaders and, and I've seen it at every level of, of business from like really small companies to big corporations, how like similar, um, similar things you were just talking about and what you learned in the military are being applied. And so there's an entry point, right? There's an entry point to learn, but you have to be around the right people it has so much to do with that. And, and I'm going to, I want to question this a bit though. You, it seems like your experience in the military was exceedingly positive, at least in terms of what you took away and learned. What's your, what's your experience with bad leadership or poor leadership in the military? Oh man. <laughs> oh, you got a story. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, yeah, it exists I mean, and, and it's, it's really common and we can see it on an individual level and, and a systemic level in a lot of ways. And I'm curious to see your perspective. Yeah, if, you, if you're dealing with humans, it's inevitable you're going to have really terrible leadership. Yeah. You know, so uh, I guess the, the what stands out, there's a few occasions. Um, one was just in training. Um we have, it was a leadership course and it was the, what I learned from that course was what I don't ever want to be. So that was a valuable mm -hmm. lesson. I don't want to be abusive. I don't want to talk down to my soldiers. I don't want to punish them for the sake of punishment. I don't want to talk down to them. I don't want to make them feel incompetent and small. I want to give them everything that they need in order to thrive and get out of the way as much as possible so that they can do their jobs. Um, that was, yeah, I, I, I learned so much from that one 
course of who I didn't want to be as a leader. It was almost just as valuable as the good leaders that I had um, because I, I embodied it as a, as a lesson rather than a kind of. What did of, you notice like about, what did you notice that you didn't want though? Like what, what was happening? Um, you know, uh, the, the idea that we were some sort of nuisance and not something that was a valuable nice. asset to the team. So, you know, being called names like fucktard and, you know, piece of shit mm. and idiots. I, I truly believe like you behave the way you're treated. And I learned that there, mm -hmm. like if you're being told you're dumb, you're incompetent, you're going to act like you're dumb and incompetent. If you say, Hey, you guys are warriors. You guys are on, yeah. you're on point. I love working with you guys and we need to just fix a few things, but you guys are soldiers. So act like it, you'll act like yeah. one. And, um, you know, obviously you have some outliers, but, um, so I, I learned that I, I learned, you know, you always want to, you want to take care of your, you want to take care of your guys, um, as much as possible because they're the ones doing the fighting for you. They're the ones doing the heavy lifting. You're the one that's the leader. Well, if you have a revolt on your hands or you have guys that are unmotivated, you're going to have to expend exponential amount of effort in order to get them to do the things that you want to do compared to somebody else who's got a good amount of trust and building that trust is crucial. So when trust was destroyed by lying, by, um, being abusive, um, then there, there's, there's no leadership there. There's no, there's no value. There's no, the, the lessons that were learned were they like the anti lessons. Like I don't want to be like this, and so um, you know, and it, it was it was unfortunate, but that was just the nature of the game. Um, and so I had a lot of really good leaders that taught me some other valuable lessons that was able to complement the you know the anti lessons that I got. So um, I mean, yeah, there aren't that many amazing leaders in the military, but I would say that on average, the leader in the military is far superior than the leaders that I've experienced in the civilian world. And so it's like the, you know, the bar is just a little higher mm -hmm. because of the training and because of the fact that like, until we were fighting the war in Afghanistan, you know, I mean, the idea is like, if you got to be a half decent leader because like, if you really screw things up, like people will, will actually die. And that's not a right. good thing. So there's a, there's an element of stress there. That's not there when if you work at McDonald's, or if you work at like KPMG or like, there's just, it's just not there. Like if you screw up, you might get fired. Okay. But it's not like, you know, your right. entire department is going to get wiped He's out, get you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's about as bad as it gets. You might not meet your KPIs for the month or the quarter. Okay. Get it. You know, um, somebody might be miserable, but you know, people don't die. So there's a certain element of, uh, of stress that's there that, you know, puts you in the crucible. So that you have to be good at your job mm -hmm. and then being deployed. Yeah. You really see like, yeah, sorry. I think it, it works really well in the military with that added stress because it forces the leadership to create more trust among the team. And that's not, that's not existent. I mean, I mean, it is, it, it definitely exists, but the stakes aren't as high, right? If there was a hierarchy of like shit, shit can go down, right? Okay. The company losing money is not really that high of a priority when it, compared to the potential death or something right, yeah. like that. Right? So, so you, you, you building, you have to build trust and because there's added trust, the training is more effective. The lessons are taken more seriously. 
right? People are more um, more likely to adapt and and work together and and rely on each other. I think trust trust is like the number one. Uh, we could call it a pillar of what a t- what a, like a good team needs. Really yeah, good well, trust. Matt, Matt, if I could just interrupt you and like give you a, like a good example, yeah, like um, mm-hmm. when you have a bunch of recruits and you're training them. So I'm a sergeant. I'm mm-hmm. in my late twenties, and I've got some 18, 19 year old kids, and I'm handing them live grenades, and we're going to throw them. I better damn well have the trust and they better have the trust in me that this is going to go well. (laughs) So, you know, like we have a lot of dangerous stuff. We have explosives. I give them claymore mines, like an 18, think of it. Like, you know, we worry about like kids going around the block without the, you know, their their parents or whatever. And then like you turn 18 and it's like, you can just be handed a claymore mine. It's like, okay, go set this up. Okay. Now blow something up with it. So the trust is, has to be like solid, um, and if it's not there, like I just wouldn't take them on the range. And that's the very real like truth about, you know, being in the military is that there's even in training, there's very serious consequences if you screw things up. So safety and building that trust with your leadership is so important. And so that's one of the main, that's one of the major lessons too. And then you don't have to worry about that in a company. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about, you know, some, well, maybe like in a, in a manufacturing warehouse, right? You need to follow safety protocols, but I don't know if you have to rely on your mm-hmm. leadership so much for that as, as, as much as, you know, maybe the, the training, I've never worked on a, on a factory floor, but you know, yeah. that's probably the closest example. Is, but, yeah. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. There's, so there's then levels of risk and the higher the risk, the more trust gets built by default and is, and is also required. And yeah, man, I can see it. And then training too, like you have to actually train people. And this is a, a, a common uh, mistake I see leaders make in like the civilian world is they negate the training aspect or they don't think training is required, right? For some things, like you just expect people to know the answers, know how to do things. And I see it in, in coaching too. When we talk about, you know, we can talk about this, like, like how you get a client results, how you get someone to lose weight, how you get someone to build habits. It's through repetition. It's through, um, a lot of ups and downs. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be good at things right away. Training is required. Trust in training, right? I loved, I love the correlation to, um, and I was talking about this, um, I did a solo episode the other day, but I was talking about this with a client. We were talking about how to actually get someone, get, you know, get a client to achieve results, whatever those results are. And, um, what I notice is some people do that really well through intuition. They just, you know, get a feel for the person, they train them over time. Yeah, that can work. And then some people can do it even faster when they have some sort of plan, when they have like a process for how things work. And it's based on the the history, like, you know, what you've done in the past. Um, and I mean, how to implement new habits, because some habits are really hard, like working out five days a week, you know, if that's your goal, 
is really tough if you have never worked out before or if you work out once a week, right? To go from one to five is it starts to add a lot of uh, layers and add a lot of uh, disruption to the rest of your life. Um, yeah, I, and I thought of that about that too before when you were talking about how you how you're going to get two million pounds lost because I'm really curious. Are they going to be able to keep it off? You know, because we could get you get someone to lose weight easy, but to to build the habits that are necessary for someone to sustain that forever, that's that's a complete like personality shift, right, or a lifestyle shift. Mm -hmm. That's hard stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it it comes from essentially what what I've seen is you have to be willing to um, put the rest of your old paradigms or the memes that you believe in around fitness and health, or in this case, like losing weight. Are you, Mm -hmm. are you genuinely going to listen? Because I, I know it works. You're coming to me to see how this process works because you've tried other things and it's not working, but old habits die hard. Right. And so if I'm telling you to do stuff, that's been contrary to everything you've heard for the last 30 years, you're like, mm, I don't know, Dave, you have cognitive dissonance. It's getting through that cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. and seeing that it works. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's like, okay, but just cause you do this thing for, let's say 90 days, the goal here is to, really establish the habits because as much as we want quick wins and we want 30 pounds or 20 pounds in 90 days, let's say it took you decades to get where you are now where you're unhappy with yourself. So give yourself a bit of like slack. Like you can take a year, you can take two years to cement these really good habits, just like brushing your teeth. And when they become like brushing your teeth, Mm -hmm. then you don't need to commit any resources to it. You just do it. And so if you can figure that out with the guidance of, you know, coach like myself or anybody like you, you, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really, it comes down to establishing those, those fundamental habits and thinking from like first principles. It's like, okay, what needs to, what needs to fundamentally be done here? Lose weight. Okay, cool. What's the paradigm in order to do it? Well, if it's this one that you've been using and you keep on gaining weight, then you have to ask yourself, well, why? All right, mm-hmm. now you've established cognitive dissonance. Now you need to establish a new paradigm and slowly get rid of the old. So, yeah, that's the that's the dream. Ultimately, I want to get to a place where I can do all of this for 100% free and mm-hmm. you can follow the course and I'll just train other coaches to do this at scale. Yeah. Um, so deploy the leadership principles that I learned to train the trainer and uh and do it that way and so have a greater impact rather than me and my uh my small team here at dave moore pt your small team is is can turn into something great man that that's that's a really um interesting way of thinking about how you can scale is is or reach you know that number that target you have is empowering other coaches and people to help others right and i imagine just by you working with one person who's really, who, who gets like amazing results and they finally like feel better and, and lose all the weight and change, you know, everything about them all because of you and they're going to want to pay it forward. Right. That's awesome, man. Something else I noticed, um, hmm, my, my train of thought was on this for a second before and now it's gone. That's all right. 
Um, oh yeah. When, when working with, uh, when working with a client and they come with this like goal, 20 pounds lost or, or 15 or 30, whatever. I realized that it's, it's not about the weight. I realized this a while ago, but it's not about the weight. Like it's not about losing the weight. I, I like to think about or find or learn about what are you not doing because of that weight? Like, what did you lose? What's missing in your life because of that weight? And that creates anchors, right? It creates more like reasons why to make the lifestyle changes. And for example, it might be that because I am 20 pounds heavier and I'm in pain all the time, I can't move. I also can't go rock climbing. And that makes me really like upset, right? I wish I could do that. Or um, because of all this pain and because of the weight gain, I no longer feel good about myself and I haven't been out, you know, on the dating scene in years. And these, when people recognize like that it's correlated to the weight and then also their shitty habits, then that's when like the ramp up starts to happen. That's when we start to see the shifts that people need to make, man. Yeah. What are some of the Yeah, if oh, I just ahead. comment on if I just comment on that, I literally just had this yeah, conversation please. with um <laughs> I was talking with um Tom and Jen Satterly. Um, and they run the All Secure Foundation. They work with uh, veterans of the special operations community that are uh, in need of help with post-traumatic stress. And mm-hmm. she made it she's this, to this exact point. She said, well, you know, you said, like, I can't go rock climbing. I can't go on a yeah. date. She's like, you got to take all your can'ts and turn them into won'ts. Mm-hmm. And then when you, you establish, like, right. I, I won't go rock climbing. I won't go on a date, then you start reframing what this is. And mm-hmm. it's you not willing to do the hard things that are required in order to get to you to that place. You know, so can't yeah. is that is that word that essentially establishes like a like a like a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. Whereas won't is starting to open up and have more of a growth mindset. I thought that was fascinating. I'm like, yeah, it's a, you know, she used the example of, I won't get, I won't get on the floor and play with my kids. Like mm-hmm. even me saying that, I'd be like, man, I would never say that in a million years, but it causes, causes a reaction inside me rather than, oh, I can't get on the floor with my kids. My back hurts too much. It's easy to kind of distance yourself, but I won't get on the floor. Yeah. yeah I'm like, wow, that's yeah, really I powerful stuff. Because this is the pattern of thinking mm-hmm. and the new, right? You have to establish a new pattern. Right. So you create, like you said before, the dissonance in the thinking by changing the question or changing the, the, um, the paradigm, right. Changing the situation can't to won't right now it becomes, oh shit, I have to question this. Uh, and then the pattern is essentially broken. So now you have to make a decision. It goes back to that personal responsibility too, mm-hmm. we're talking about. And I like, um, and, and why this is why I find this so valuable in discovering with people like they're, you know, we can go layers deep on what is their real reason for being overweight, right? Once you discover what are the things they can't do or won't do, and you get them to start doing them again. Now they're starting to see 
like a different life. And as a result, they're probably losing weight. They're probably feeling better. They're probably doing all these different things. And I like how you framed it before as giving like measurable objectives or like benchmarks. Um, you know, maybe you can't climb the entire rock wall, but can you walk there first? Right. Can you look at it? Can you, you know, make a, uh, make a dating profile? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is like the little step into the life you really want? These little, little tiny ways of showing yourself like, okay, I can do this. And then you'll start asking new questions too. Like, how can I do this better? How can I change? What else can I do? It's a, it's a powerful tool there. That's really cool. When you were, um, when you joined the military, what were you expecting? I'm curious. Man, it was I didn't like the, it was like the, the uh, yeah, the I, image you had in your head. What was that? I was 19, man. I didn't know anything about anything. I I didn't join <laughs> for like 9/11 hadn't even hadn't even happened yet. So I joined because my buddy was like, "Hey, let's join the army and like let's do the." Let's do this for real. We always, when we were a kid, we grew up together. We always like playing guns and like playing like super spy yeah. and doing that kind of stuff, you know, like typical boy stuff. I was like, all right, sounds good. And then there was a recruiter at my, at my college and, um, he looked great. Like he had, like it, we had, uh, my, my regiment has a, like a typical, like red coat, like British style, more the Grenadier guards. So, um, look really sharp, like really nice uniform. I was like, man, I will pick up so many girls in this uniform. It is going to be insane. <laughs> so it was really ego driven. And then we're like, okay, well, we get paid for this and we get to shoot guns, sign me up. And uh, I really didn't have any other expectations other than like, I, I took it seriously. Like I got fit. Uh, I, I was running, I was doing push ups, and like, I was expecting there to be like these beasts, you know, like <laughs> just like these super warriors when i showed up i don't know why i thought that 19 you know i didn't know anything <laughs> about anything and i showed up and it's just all kids my age you know 18 19 20 years old i think there was, there was a dude uh, that was on that was on the course with us who's 24 who i thought was like we called him grandpa i'm <laughs> 24 years old yeah um i was like man you're old bro what are you doing here and mm. yeah i just loved it i loved it so i didn't really have any expectations other than like i'm going to shoot guns and I'm going to do some running and some push-ups and, you know, walk around the woods. And it turns out it was just one of the greatest decisions I made because it just it allowed me to find what I was good at just naturally. And that's, that's, there's something to be said about that. Cause I, I was an okay student. I wasn't like terrible and I was an okay athlete, but I wasn't amazing. So I never really had something that I really excelled at and I excelled in the army. So that was, that was a good, that was a good feeling. Everybody should have that feeling at least once in their life. Hmm. The feeling of excelling in something. Yeah. Like pure competence. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm good at this. Like, and you know, obviously there was ups and downs and, but yeah, ultimately like, I, I was good. I, I felt confident in it and i never really had confidence in other things like I did in the military. And there was, I just got that reaffirmed like from day one because I was fit and it was as simple as that. Like I was fit. Mm -hmm. So I was like more alert and I was just able to help people. And on a recruit course, that's, that's, that's it. It's just like a big game of Simon says with, you know, sergeant stuff yelling at you. <laughs> I was like, all right, if they tell me to do something, I'll do it. If they don't tell me to do something, I won't do it. Got it. This is an easy game. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay at this. That was it. 
So the fitness really, really, really played a role. And it's interesting how you took it seriously and then got there and it was just a bunch of normal guys. So I had the same, it was, I had the same impression when I, when I was deploying, when I was in my late twenties, I was like, Oh, I was deploying with, I knew I was going to be deploying with the, um, with the Americans. So I was going to be deploying with uh, the 10th mountain division. And for whatever reason, I'm like, they're all going to be super soldiers. And so I like, I went to the gym hard and I showed up. They're all kids. Like I, they're all 20 year olds. The, the American military is super young compared mm -hmm. to our military. I was, they were calling me old man. I'm like, I'm 28 years old. I'm not old. <laughs> what are you talking about? But for them, yeah, they're like 20 years old, 19, 20 years old. And you know, there's some fit, fit guys, but I was, I'm still very fit yeah. um, in comparison. So yeah, it's all about perception, right? And I just, I, I always want to err on the side of being super competent and super prepared in any new situation. Mm -hmm. So especially when it came down to like being deployed in Afghanistan, I didn't want to have to be like a casualty because I was just out of shape. Like that was, that would be like the shame of shames for me, especially with a foreign military. Uh, -uh That wasn't going to happen. So I just, you know, I hit the CrossFit gym like crazy and I just like beasted myself mm -hmm. for months before I left. And man, I was in really good shape when I got there. Was that, um, when did that start for you? That willingness to go above and beyond, or you used, mm -hmm. used the, the term, you know, being very prepared, right? When did that start? Was that something in your childhood that you learned? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, I don't know, man, to be honest. Cause like I, cause other I people kinds of are, don't do that, right? Not a lot of people will go like all out plus to make sure that they are, you know, ready. Yeah. Anytime I take on something new, I like to be, I, so I, I hate to be per perceived as either incompetent or lacking skill mm -hmm. or I, I, I just don't like it. I, I, I want to show up I, I, and, and it's been my kind of Achilles heel too. I also get really frustrated with myself. If I start something new, I'm not really good at it, like a new sport or a new yeah. job or, you know, like I just expect, like I'm going to be good. And it was, yeah, it was kind of my Achilles heel because I would like play sports and I, and the, the odd thing is like, I, I would get ready for something like tour, like I study and I get fit and like, I was just ready. But then, you know, a mm -hmm. sport that I really enjoyed was like hockey. I love playing hockey, but I didn't, go to extra camps in the summer. I didn't play extra on the outdoor rink, you know, in the winter and the kids that were doing really well. That's what they were doing. And I was just like, mm, I'll just show up to next season just, and you know, play. And I, I don't, I don't know why that is, but when it came to like the professional setting, I, you know, in teaching too, I really wanted to be dialed in. I wanted to know all the kids' names basically before I even showed up. Um, yeah. I wanted to make sure all my lesson plans were done. I wanted to just make sure like I was good, 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 good. Um, because for me, first impressions are really important, I guess, because I, you know, I, when I, when I have somebody that comes into my world or my new, an, an, or an organization that I may be in charge of, or when I had troops, first impressions were important. Like, you know, you showed up, you were fit, like you were respectful and like you had your stuff like ready and like you, you wore your uniform well. It's like, all right, this guy's dialed in this guy I can trust. So that probably comes down to that. Like, I just want to make sure that people can rely on me. I hate, I would hate having somebody think that I'm like unreliable and untrustworthy. That's probably one of the, one of the driving forces for me. It's, it's really interesting how you said with hockey, you're not that way. I'm sure you 
put the work in, but not more than you need to. And yeah. I can relate to that. I'm, yeah. I, I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and to me, it's just, it's like, and I, when I first started, um, yeah. So when I first started, I had owned a CrossFit gym and I wanted to go to a place and just be part of a community. And so I started doing jujitsu. I went in with the intention of being a student again, because I wasn't in any other area of my life. And I felt, it felt really good. It felt good to be, just be there. Right. And then after class, I would just leave. And I still do that. I still do it right now. You know, I teach a strength and conditioning class once a week and I hang out with the guys once in a while. But for the most part, my training doesn't revolve around me being a better athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Or being the best. I like to show up and enjoy myself. And I go into it with that mindset. But, but other things like building my business, I want to make sure I have things dialed in and I'm um, on top of my systems and I'm not getting backed up on work or over, um, over committing to things. I'm really focused. Um, and when I learn and learn something new, I go all in on it, but it's interesting how we can have like separation. I think it's like, it's important to have things that are just fun where you can just be like, be that person. And, and I teach this a lot in my uh, leadership course. I teach about how you can have sort of a split identity because it's, it's how you want to be in the moment. You don't have to be on all the time. And some, sometimes that's, valuable and sometimes you need to play you need to enjoy yourself or um be a listener not a talker right and you're allowed to you're allowed to choose and move in between these different roles that you can play in your life right depending on the situation i personally love the opportunity to just be just exist sometimes be part of something is that the same for you with 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 hockey with or with any other sport that you you play yeah i mean you mentioned something like i always want to be the best right like and mm -hmm. it definitely cognitive dissonance yeah i want to be the best but i didn't put in the work if that makes sense mm. so that now is translating into you mentioned business like for for me now like I've never done business before. Like this is, this is new to me. Uh, I've been at mm -hmm. it now three years and I'm doing all right. And I'm like, this is something that I should have been doing since I was 20. Why didn't I do this earlier? It was just out of fear. It's like, I freaking love yeah. this. Like I'm running my own show. It's if I make a mistake, it's my mistake. You know, this is great. Like I'm really enjoying it. And if I have a success, it's my success. Like I, I'm, I'm in a super creative space. I realize I'm a creative guy. And so my focus, my priority now is building my business. That is my priority for the next year is getting my business to the next level. And can I be like, is there, is there a metric to say like, you're the best businessman? No, I mean, that's, it's not reasonable. Like is, is it Elon Musk? I don't know. Obviously he's very good at it, but I don't want to be Elon Musk. So who do I compare myself to? I don't know. All I know is that I can set up my own benchmarks and I can say, well, right. when I hit these, like I... Well, like I already considered myself successful because I, I had, and I'm sure you can say the same thing. We had nothing. There was nothing that existed until we had an idea and we said, I'm going to make this into a business and create something out of nothing. That is a mm -hmm. fascinating concept that we can do as humans. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm always amazed that like, and I have to do that self-reflective journey where I'm frustrated that I'm not at the next level, but man, I, I never thought I would get to this level. Like I remember yeah. my first conversation with one of my business coaches when I first started out, I'm like, man, I would be freaking amazed if I made a thousand dollars a month. He's like a thousand. I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, that's a lot of money. He's like, yeah, but maybe you could make 10, 20, 30, four. I'm like, no, I'm like, dude, no, come on, $40,000. Like, come on, man. Who, who makes that? He's like, well, I do. He's like, I, and I was just like, my mind just broke. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man, I make about a half a million dollars a year doing this. Like this is, and then it's going to keep on growing. He's like, if you're in business, you're in it for the long haul. And he's like, if you get the right attitude and that's what you're here for and get the right mindset, you know, like you have to just see it for what it is. Like you want to generate wealth and wealth doesn't mean just dollars in the bank. Like you want to help other people. You're in it for the right reasons, but you also want to make sure that you can provide for your family and you want to make sure everybody around you is also good. You're a generous dude. I'm like, yeah, you're right. He's like, so therefore go out and make that wealth. And I was like, wow, I was like, cool. And that kind of motivated me a lot, you know, to think bigger and, you know, what does that mean to be the best? Well, for me, it just means like I can generate wealth for my family and those that are in my sphere. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's how I, that's how I define it. And that's, that's what I'm doing and I'm, I'm happy about it. So, you know, the little setbacks along the way are setbacks, but they're not, you know, devastating because I've, I'm finally doing what I really feel I'm, I was meant to do, which is, you know, help people and, and get them healthier. Yeah. It's a hundred percent a mindset too. You said your work, your priority is working on your business for the next year, getting it to a level of success you want it to be, or taking it to the next level. And there's the, I like to say, and then, you know, conceptualize this, the, the, the psychology and the way of thinking that, that brought you to where you are now is not good enough for the next level. Um, it's not going to work. It's, it's, it's effective up until now. And then if you want a five X revenue, right. In a year, which is possible. Well, you have to be a different person yep. to do that. Cause you're, you're making way different decisions. You're doing different things in your life day to day. And so complacency will keep you where you are. And if, and that's okay, sometimes, you know, you can get to a certain level and then coast, but sometimes it takes, uh, changing some perspectives, changing your perspective. When you think at scale, you start to think creatively, like we talked about before with how you're going to reach 2 million people or how you're going to, you know, reach a hundred thousand people, right? Mm-hmm. It, it comes with some creative thinking like, oh, if I do this then this might happen and then this can happen. And then we, as entrepreneurs, I think we're, we're basically scientists. We're testing constantly. We're just hypothesizing, creating a, a plan of execution and then do it. Let's see what happens. And if it works, great. Can we do it again? Is it repeatable? If it's not, well, what's broken? I love, I love thinking about it this way. And it keeps me really motivated. You got my brain spun up right now. Um, can I sh- can I Sweet. share what I'm can, uh, can I share what I started implementing this week with you? Yeah, please. All right. So, um, do you listen or, or read anything from Alex Hormozzi? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I stumbled on him about hmm, two three months ago, 
So I listened to his podcast. His, his podcast is great. Um, it's where I got yeah. the inspiration to, to, to scale and give away stuff for free. That's essentially mm-hmm. what he's doing, like to build your business to your first million dollars. Yeah, his like, business I'm giving away. is really, really interesting. Very interesting. Like he's, yeah. he's eviscerating all the business coaches that are at the lowest level. <laughs> um, yeah. And because he's like, I don't need the money. He's like, so here you go. Take all my stuff for free. And then when you make it to this level, then we can start working together. So anyways, um, through him and the coaches I'm using now, um, when I get a sign from the universe now, I listen to it. Before I would just say, meh, just coincidence. So I got the same message in the same week that uh, essentially if you want to like rule the future and the way things are going with society, like the individual who can focus his or her attention will be king. Like they will rule the world because everybody's so distracted now with phones and whatnot and establishing some solid discipline and a protocol around that is going to allow you to, like you said, five X. So I had to change my, I had to change my, my mentality around what I'm doing because that's the reason why I'm stuck. You hit exactly the reason why I'm kind of stuck here. So I had to say, well, what is my priority? And that's why some of my, my business is my priority. Well, what did I have to do? So I had to do a few things. I was going to the gym four days a week. So that that's a pretty good commitment. But if I'm, my priority is the, the, my business, well, four days a week at the gym, that's over six hours. That's six hours could be working on the business. So I'm going to have to bring that down. So now I'm down to two days. Uh, what time do I get up in the morning? I was getting up around like six. It's like, all right, well, let's get some more hours in the morning and let's make sure you get those hours in on the weekend as well. So consistent wake up time at zero five. And I still got to take care of the kids when they get up around like seven o'clock. So it still gives me a solid work day, undistracted until noon. And then I deleted all social media off my phone. I started that on Monday and the amount of work I've gotten done from Monday to today, it's, incredible it's incredible I, I i can't believe how much w- more work i got done like i got things done that i've been putting off for months and i was just like done 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 and i'm still taking calls i'm still you know running the business it's not like all of a sudden like i was doing like extra things i was just doing the things that needed to get done and not worrying about all the other little things and all the little distractions and that was mm-hmm. just from two people saying the same thing like focus just focus and that's the thing i wasn't focused and i didn't have a priority i had and the the term what what i really like sunk in was that the word priorities is an oxymoron well how can you have more than one priority the word priority means one and only focus so yeah. if you're if you believe that you have priorities then clearly you're gonna not be moving towards Each whatever gets, it is you actually you know, want Exactly. You're going to be split in many directions. So I'm yeah. like, no, it, and it doesn't mean I'm neglecting my family. It doesn't mean I'm neglecting my body. It doesn't mean, it just means that if I have to make a decision, I have to, I have to think about it as, well, my priority is the business. So how do I manage all the other things, keeping in mm-hmm. mind that my priority is the business. And that has yeah. been, that has been huge. And I say no now, I just said no to an interview on TV. Normally I would have said, yeah, but I'm like, no, it's not actually related to my business. So I'm like, no. And people are asking for just like little, nope, no, I'm good. Cool. I'm not being a dick about it. I'm just saying, no, I'm sorry, focus. So it, it's yeah. made a huge, at four days and it's just been like, so I can That's only imagine cool. what a year is going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> I love hearing that, man. So when you said my priority is growing my business, you really meant it. And, and 
that's that's a and, and it's interesting because prior creating a priority one singular focus and you do that consistently right it works as a decision making tool so everything is compared like you said to the business every time you make your you encounter any need to make a decision or need to choose what's next what's happening you say well how will this affect me in growing my business how is this going to um or is this going to distract me that's that could be the first question is this distracting me from the business or is it helping mm -hmm. if it's helping okay great how this this way of thinking is difficult because we're taught priorities or we're taught to prioritize, make a list of what's important in that in that, that order. But then you have a list that you're thinking about, right? Business, family, fitness, health, whatever it is. And those are, those can be your values, right? I, I find values to be really important. Right. Again, for helping to make decisions, um, then priorities would supersede that the priority would supersede that. And it's, it, some people take it so personally when you, when you set a boundary like that, when you say no to things, I've, I've encountered that a lot, especially in when I started making shifts myself, um, more toward a singular priority, which is the same as you, which is growing my business so I can create wealth, wealth for my family. And so I can, accomplish this mission, right? This vision that I have for the future, that is 100% my priority and everything else is a distraction. And it's really difficult for people to hear that. I think because they're intimidated, to be honest, people get intimidated by certainty. Mm -hmm. I think you're, I think you're, yeah, I think you're totally right on that. When, when you come across, like, let's say you you have, let's say a fixed mindset and, you know, you've believed whatever you believe for, you know, two decades and you know, you go to work, you do your thing and then somebody shows up and they're like super focused and super motivated. And you may be having a conversation and they may say like, well, well, uh, let's go grab a drink. And they're like, no, sorry, man. It's like, no, man, what's, what's, what's the big deal? Just come out. It's like, no, sorry. I got to get up early in the morning. You're like, and it's, it's like, you kind of, they get kind of indignant. Like I've been there too. I've been like, bro, what are you talking about going to the gym? Like, you know, like just come out for a drink. Like, don't be that guy. It's like, no, nah, man, I'm focused. And you're like, you know, you kind of brush them off. Rather than say like, wow, that guy's really dialed in. Like, I wonder why he's so focused. And you see that in like high level athletes, like, especially the ones that I, like I was around when I was in high school, like they wouldn't come out to parties. Like they wouldn't come out on Fridays. They're like, this guy's missing out. But no, they're focused. They're, they they want to go to the Olympics. Like you can't just fake that. Yeah. You got to put it in the hours. And same now at this point, I'm, it, it's finally sunk in. Like the reason why people have s certain levels of success, like I have friends a lot of friends actually that are like doctors and stuff and yeah. you know they're brilliant but they put in so much effort and so much focus like i screwed around in university man like i didn't mm -hmm. go to class like i had like a 2.1 gpa like i that wasn't a focus i didn't care enough to to take it seriously mm -hmm. but now i'm like oh, okay well what am i taking this is like the thing this is like my proving ground now you know like Last year I did the Ironman because I wanted to prove that I can stick to a training plan and finish one of the hardest events, single day events, mm -hmm. known to man. And I was, I was, I was the guy that's saying like, yeah, I can't go out. 
Uh, sorry, man, I gotta get up early. I gotta get up before three. I go for a run. And people are like, who, like, who are you? Like, no, no, you're not. That's like, me right now. Training. Yeah, but it's just like where I was. You know, mm-hmm. like I was just I'm focused. Like, so just yeah. this is what it is. Um, and now it's business. You know, and 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 so I. I I like being able to say that, like, I'm focused on this thing because I want to be able to manifest what I've envisioned, uh, mm-hmm. having, you know, at that certain level of success where I can, you know, you know, be very generous with, you know, my money. And, and I've never been, I didn't grow up in that. I came from a very right. like, middle-class family, you know, like we didn't have lots of monetary wealth. We didn't have the big trips. We didn't have any of the fancy stuff. I want to be able to like do that. I like, giving back as much as possible so when i get there it's going to be it's going to be a very special moment for me like i've i've pictured it in my brain enough times that um it's going to be it's going to be an interesting interesting occurrence for sure that's the key it's the visualization of it yeah and 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 i imagine this can happen for most people at some point in their life and there's different levels to it but i've visualized 10 years out what i want and what's possible for me. I, I can see exactly what it is, right? And write it down and draw it for you and show you the possibility. And because of that, again, creates an anchor to what I want. Um, I also know what I don't want anymore that helps or what I don't want to get to. Um, and having some things way out and, and an Ironman is a great example because uh, that, that could be six months out. That's a long time to commit to one thing, right? And creates a reason for change, a reason for um, the effort, the discipline instead of it's really difficult. And I know from experience, like setting small goals doesn't do shit for me for the, the actual discipline mm-hmm. having uh having like a tie of a from a goal to every other piece of your life and like the, the potential now that will create some some change that like makes some waves in your life and so it, it's like in the moment you finally decide on something and you can visualize it and you know what it feels like you have a taste for it now you're like sight set lasered in and focused and you know for anyone that struggles with uh commitment too like that that's the way to go like setting clear and uh concise goals that have very specific uh, measurable outcomes is how you're going to get results and how you're going to you know start making the changes too amazing man what I want to wrap this up with two more questions, if that's cool with you. Um, what's yeah? T- well, yeah. Let's just tell us about your initiatives now, your program that you that you run, and who it's for, like really specifically. Yep. No problems on that, man. I. Oh specifically work with uh, <laughs> veteran men that have successfully transitioned, whether it's to retirement or to another career that uh, want to feel better, lose excess body fat, and be able to thrive in their second career post-military. So 
the uh, core of what I do is essentially a um, what I call the BEAST program, stands for Be Always Stimulating Testosterone. So it's to ensure that hormonal function is dialed in without taking any hormones, obviously, to do it naturally, and to establish some baseline movement uh, fixes. And uh, like we talked about earlier, make sure you're moving well so that you can do more movement and do just some uh, basic uh, movement patterns under tension. So we don't need to be a weightlifter. You just need to have kettlebells because I'm a kettlebell instructor. So I love instructing that kind of stuff um, and incorporating at home so that you can do the 30 minutes, which is the baseline every day for yourself, uh, including your habits. So it includes training and, and habits. So um, it's a consistency program uh, so that you can actually develop more muscle mass, lose body fat and establish habits for life. So it's good. It's good, especially working with the, uh, the, uh, the niche that I'm in. It's me. So I know, I know what it's like, you know, you might have kids, uh, a wife, uh, you're getting a bit doughy around the waist and you're trying to figure out like, man, I don't understand why I keep on getting fatter and my energy levels are going down. I've got a, we got a solution for that. And uh, a lot of us, especially in the military community learned some lessons when it comes to uh, fitness that are counterproductive when you're a bit older, like go hard or go home. Like if you're not sore for three days after a workout, you didn't work out. Um, if you're not basically heaving at the end of a workout, you didn't work out. Um, those habits can, can really bite you in the butt as you get older. Um, so it's to kind of reprogram and like we talked about earlier, just changing, having a paradigm shift, making sure that you look at what your, what are your actual goals moving forward now? Like you're 40. All right, cool. Like you still want to look ripped. You still want to like impress the ladies on the beach. Cool. Um, this may not be the place for you. Maybe, um, you know, you, you, you want to do something else, but ultimately what we're going to work on here is longevity and making sure that we bring the best science so that you can uh, have the best life possible moving forward. And, uh, that includes losing weight and, and getting stronger. Yeah. I like how you use the, the term consistency program. You called it a consistency program. That seems, I think that's the highlight from this episode is we talked so much about consistency. Um, and, and transformation. I love it, man. Where can people learn more about that, that program? Yeah. Or the easiest find way you if they want. If yeah. The easiest, the easiest thing is to just go to davemorrow.net and you'll find my mm -hmm. podcast blog, uh, training programs and uh, my contact info there. Uh, and you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram where I'm most active at Dave Morrow PT, all one word. And uh, yeah, uh, I have a Facebook group as well and it's open to all really um obviously it's uh, got a very military uh military well, i should say militarized but it's it's obviously geared to military veterans because that's how yeah. we started and that's who i work with but the uh the goal is to to share as much knowledge as possible with the community and um if you if you like veterans and you like hanging out with them then uh yeah come yeah. on board it's the hard to kill facebook group so um, a lot of free trainings in there and we uh we have some competitions and, and whatnot that we, uh, we, uh, we do every few weeks to, to keep people motivated and um, tracking in the right direction when it comes to fitness and health. So yeah, Dave Morrow PT. And then my book as well, you can uh, find The Nimble Warrior, which is basically how I got started in the business world at thenimblewarriorbook.com. And uh, I'll send you out a signed copy if you go buy one there too. So 
yeah, those are uh, those are a bunch of different places you can find me, but uh, you can find everything at DaveMorrow.net, including the book. Awesome. Last last question: What is what does being fit for adventure mean to you? Fit for adventure. Well, it sounds kind of like you're hard to kill, <laughs> meaning you can you can take on an adventure, which could mean yeah. physical adventure, like climbing a mountain, um, going to a foreign country and doing a bunch of hikes and experiencing life on another level. Cause in my opinion, like the, there's so many things that you can go see, but you need to be fit in order to be able to, to do them. I mean, you can go on a, like I'm on an entrepreneur adventure right now. So I guess fundamentally it's a mindset. And, uh, if you want to do anything, you want to do anything, well, uh, you need to literally be fit. Um, and so therefore you need to make that your priority. Dare I say it? <laughs> so that you can do the things you actually want to do and uh, enjoy life to its fullest. Cause uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't take it seriously, if you don't take your fitness seriously, you don't take your health seriously, um, you know, it may not be hard now in the sense that you can kind of get by and you can neglect it, but it's really when you get older and you realize, Oh crap, like I'm not thriving in my forties, fifties, sixties, I'm decaying. I realize now I'm like, I'm glad I made the decisions I made because I've seen, I see my friends that are starting to, starting to hurt now in their forties and fifties. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm where I'm at now, including my wife and including my kids. We're making, we're making some good long-term habit uh, decisions. And that's what I think fit for adventure is, is making the right habit changes so that you can do what you want to do on your own terms. Sweet. Well said, man. Thank you. Thanks for this conversation. So I really enjoyed it. Awesome. It was a real pleasure, man. Thanks for having me.